last week I skipped the end of my notes because we were talking about inspiration. And we talked about how we got the scriptures. And I used the example last week of a pen. That pen, I wrote a word on the back of a piece of paper, and the pen wrote my words. The pen's the instrument I use to write my words. The instrument God used to give us his word were men. And so, and about 40 different men over a 15 to 1600 time, 1600 year time period. And the Bible all agrees together. There's so much more I can say about that. But before we dive into preservation night, which in all reality, I should probably talk about preservation before I talked about inspiration. But we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. And I know sometimes when it's a Bible study like this and then there are big words that are used, sometimes those big words just go over your head and that's okay. But I'm trying to help you. I want you to have confidence tonight that you have the Word of God. That's what I want you to have confidence about. And so as we look at this, we're going to do our last point from last week, and then we'll dive into the doctrine of preservation. So number one tonight in our outline, we see that God's word is invaluable. You cannot put a price tag on it. And I know some of you are like, I paid $62.95 for my... That's not what I'm talking about. I know you paid a price to get the Bible that you have. And, and I would also, just a little thought, it's totally off subject. Well, it's not completely off subject. It's still a little bit there. But a good Bible is a good thing to have, and you'll spend good money on a lot of things in life. Now, I will tell you something. I don't buy my children really, really nice Bibles because they go through them pretty fast. But like when our kids in Christian school graduate um, into ninth grade, I believe it's in the ninth grade, I give them a very nice Bible. And then I give them a really, really nice Bible when they graduate high school. And it's just like I like to play basketball. You can tell the difference between a junk ball and one that's good. Get a good Bible and take care of it. This is a little side note. Take care of it. Cherish the Word of God. It's God's Word. I have the habit. I don't put anything on top of God's Word. God's Word's on top because it's superior to every other book. I try to take care of it. Now, there's every once in a while when I get preaching where I'll take it and I'll do something like that. I shouldn't do that with it, but I do, or I'll hit it, do something, and that's just me getting a little carried away there, but take good care of God's Word, and young people, take care of God's Word. Treat it, treat it with respect. Such an awesome book, but as we talk about tonight, God's Word being invaluable, why is it so invaluable? What does it do in our lives? Number one, it convicts. Man, the Word of God convicts us. That's why, this is the thing, that's why when there's sin in our life, sin hinders us from the Word of God. Because that conviction, we don't like that conviction. But it convicts, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, verse number 12, for the Word of God, it's quick and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. The Word of God tonight, it's invaluable because it convicts. We talked a few minutes ago about the day we got saved. Do you remember the conviction you felt when you got saved? I, would, there, I hope there was conviction there. There should have been some conviction. And where did the conviction come from? The Word of God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so it's invaluable because it convicts. Number two, it converts. The Word of God, it converts. 
And I already quoted that one for you, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God, think about in 1 Peter, that passage that talks about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorrupt by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Word of God, it converts. And aren't you thankful for that? Man, the Word of God, you know what this world needs today? It needs a bunch of Jesus, and it needs the Word of God. That's what it needs today. There should have been at least one amen. But anyways, number three, it corrects. The Word of God corrects us. 2 Timothy 3, verse number 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration. We talked about this verse last week. By inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Do you realize tonight the Word of God, it corrects you. But if you look at this verse, the Word of God's profitable, first of all, for doctrine. It tells you what's right. In reproof, it tells you when you're wrong. Then it tells you for correction how to get right. And then it shows you how to stay right. The Word of God, it's an amazing book. And it, it's there, it convicts us, it converts us, it corrects us. How oh, this one, it cleanses us. Man, just as you would take a shower, take a bath, and cleanse yourself. The Word of God cleanses us. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. How important the Word of God is in our lives. And you want to... So I've had many people come to me and say, Pastor, I keep messing up in this area, and I keep messing up. What can I do? And I tell them every single time, memorize some Scripture in that area. You want to cleanse your way? Get some soap and wash your hands. Get the Word of God and memorize it. I've said it before, and I've said, I've said it multiple times. And I know some people say, I wouldn't do that to my kids. Well, you do whatever God leads you to do. My parents... When there were issues in my life, I wrote Bible verses. That was my punishment. <gasps> oh, and, and the backside got hit a few times too. There was the mixture of both. But do you know it really, and, in that, and I honestly believe, I have carpal tunnel day. This hand, I write one or two letters, and this hand goes numb. I cannot, and you say, well, why is that? I am 95% sure it's because of all the verses I wrote as a kid. Not my parents' fault. That was my fault. I should have learned like the second or third time. But it took me a while. I was, just, I was a little stubborn. Any stubborn kids in here? It's not if you have your hands up. I, I'm around your kids at school. Yes, there's stubbornness back in this corner. There's stubbornness around here, here, back over here, everywhere in this room. You know it's true. But anyways, I was stubborn. I was. It takes one to know one, right? And, uh, but... It helped me in a lot of areas to memorize the Word of God. And so when the temptation or when, we'll, we'll say this one, when I was a teenager, I would just, and most teenagers do this, they run their mouths. And I don't know why you get this idea you need to run your mouth. You don't have to. You can just, it's better, it's just better to stay, a lot of times to stay quiet. You don't have to have an opinion about every little thing. It's amazing, the older people get, the less they have an opinion about everything. Well, some people still have an opinion about everything, but almost every young person has an opinion about everything and their thoughts on everything. And one of those, whoso keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life, and attaineth favor of the Lord. 
And it helped me. Because I finally got to the point to where I just, when I, so I wouldn't say anything, that verse would pop in my mind, and I'd bite the tip of my tongue. You can't say much. You can't talk much when you're biting the tip of your tongue. So keep it as mouth, keep it as life. And I added Brian's version to it and doesn't have to write more verses. And it worked. But the Word of God, it will help you say, well, Pastor, I have a problem lying. Oh, there's plenty of verses about lying. Say, Pastor, I have a problem with pride. Oh, there's plenty of verses about pride. There's verses the Word of God can help you. And this is what happens when you, and a lot of times we look at our kids in our Christian school, and you know, and you used to be this way too, when you would have tests in school, you would get, you would memorize all you could up here, and then as soon as the test was over with, you couldn't remember anything, it was just here. That's what we do a lot of times with the Word of God. We get it up here, and it's gone. You're supposed to hide it in your heart. It's amazing how the Word of God can help you in your life, and God will use it. It cleanses and then um, we see next, number five, it conquers. The Word of God conquers. And we talk about the armor of God. And the Bible says um, in Ephesians 6, verse number 17, take the helm of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I don't know if you noticed, but when you look at all the armor of God, everything is very defensive except the sword. When Jesus was tempted for 40 days when he fasted in the wilderness there, what did he use? The Word of God. And if the Son of God, and I know Jesus could not have sinned. He's God. There's no way I think he could have sinned. I know there are people out there, well, he could have. God cannot sin. He could not sin. But if the Son of God, perfect, needed Scripture, how much more do I unperfect, imperfect, imperfect. That's the better word there. I saw Caroline and Ryan thinking inside themselves. That wasn't proper English. I'm a Christian school kid, so that's where it comes from. And uh, how much more me being imperfect do I need the Word of God in my life? God's Word is profitable. We need it in our lives, and there's so much to it, but it's invaluable. I want to take the rest of our time tonight And I want to talk about the preservation of the Bible. Now, as we talk tonight about the preservation of the Bible, I'm going to make some comments here at the beginning tonight that might, hopefully I don't upset you, but if it upsets you, just relax. You'll be fine, okay? And what we do a lot of times, especially when it comes to certain things, we give men a lot more credit than men deserve. We give men a lot of credit on things. And when we look at it, we could look at, I want you to understand something tonight. We have no originals. Okay? There are no originals left. You say, why not? They've worn out. And that happened. Have you noticed how things wear out? And so let's just say 2,000 years ago, there's not many things that last, and maybe you might find a fragment of something from 2,000 years ago, but we do not have the originals tonight. Now, I also need to understand something. There are many in our Baptist circles and in other circles, people have lots of different things that they say about this stuff, and I'm not going to battle and deal with all of that tonight. But I want you to understand something. 
the originals were inspired. Don't miss that tonight. The originals were inspired. And when we think about that, God moved upon those men, didn't he? Isn't that the Holy Spirit moved on them, the Bible says? We looked at that last week. The originals were inspired. Now, I want you to, now let's think about this for a minute. When Timothy received from Paul, where it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, I personally don't believe that Timothy had in his hands an original copy. Because if an original copy, there's not many of those. But he had a copy or a copy of a copy. Say, well, how could a copy be inspired? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. How could we go through all the years of time that the Bible's been around? And how do we know for a fact that we for sure have the Bible? Now, we could go down a long list of texts tonight. Let's talk about ancient manuscripts for a few minutes. So, there are those in this world that would call themselves KJV only, and they would say that line would be the Texas Receptus line through Antioch and the Byzantine, that empire, and that that's the line of Scripture that they would follow. But once again, if we're being honest tonight, you are following somebody's writings of something. You do, and this, and when we get down to it, let's talk about, so, the Texas Receptus, the, the New Testament. Um, did you know Erasmus? He is the guy who penned the Greek New Testament. Did you know he did several editions of it? Most KJV-only folks don't even know what edition was used for the King James Bible. And just so you know, it was the third edition. He did five, the third edition, and Stephanus had something, to, and there was a lot that went into it there, and we can go down that line. Some of those down that line when it comes to the King James Bible, and I mentioned this last week, and in our Baptist churches, you hear a lot of this. There's a lot of this idea of double inspiration. And I mentioned a guy by the name of Peter Ruckman is where that idea comes from. And where God gave those translators direct line just like he did to Peter, James, and John, which is baloney. That's not, that's, there's no Bible for that. And so if you follow that line and you say you're a King James only and you follow from Antioch and you follow Erasmus and his text there and to the King James translators, you're still trusting a bunch of men at the end of the day. But people say King James was such a good godly man. Was he really? We could do a whole study on that, but we're not going to. Was everything that came out of Antioch perfect? Now we say let's look at the, the critical side of it. So you've got the two major manuscripts would be the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus. The Vaticanus was found in the 400s in the Vatican Library and blah, blah, blah. There it is. Um, the Sinaiticus was found at the traditional Mount Sinai site by, I think Tischendorf was his name, I believe. And he was there one time. He found it there. And you could look at that there, and you could trace those back, really, and especially the Sinaiticus, to an Alexandria, an Egypt line. And so people will say, well, everything from Egypt is bad. 
Jesus was in Egypt for a while. I'll just leave that there. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to doubt what you believe. That's not what I'm trying to do. But what you have today is you have one group of people saying, well, all that Westcott and Horton, all these people, bad, 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 bad. Alexandria text, all that, bad. Stay clear of it. And then you have on this side, these people were good, 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 and you can trust these people. But then the opposite side of it is you have these people saying, oh, these people back then, they were just making it to say what they want. They're bad, 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 bad. And these people are good, 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 good. And tonight, I'm not going to get into the semantics and go over which people were good, 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 and which people were bad, 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 because all men are bad, okay? Let's just leave that there. We'll leave that right there. So tonight, I'm not going to go through the line of the text. If you want more information on that, come see me, and we can sit down, and we can talk for hours. Take like three days, and we'll spend some time together, and I'll go over that. You say, I, trust me, I, I used to teach at a Bible college. This, was the, this is what I taught. I know my stuff right here, and I could go on for a while with you. But tonight, I'm not going to go down that road. Well, we look at, well, and someone asked me just this last week. I met with an officer here in town. I love meeting with this guy. He's the guy who's helped me lately with more of my fitness area of things. So I answer all of his spiritual questions. He answers all my physical questions. So it's a great relationship there. And so he's like, how did, how did we know what Scripture should be Scripture? There's a whole lesson I could teach you tonight about the canonization of Scripture. There was a council that got together and decided what should be in the Bible. You're like, men decided? You can look at it that way if you want. You say, well, what, did they leave something out? If men were really doing all of this, yes, men would leave something out. There could be a book that got left out. Or if we're being honest, when they put it all together in the canonization of Scripture, I'll give you one example tonight. The book of James they did not want to include. You say, well, why not the book of James? Because in the book of Romans it says uh, that Abraham was justified by faith. And then the book of James, it says that Abraham was justified by his works. So they contradict each other, so don't put James in the Bible. Now, there's some things about the way they were living and things of that day. I think that's why they didn't want it there. But if you look at the Bible, they, they had to meet a certain criteria. Does it have the thus saith the Lord qualities? Does it, was it by someone who knew? There's lots that went into it because what you got to understand is in that day, and as I was explaining to my, my cop friend the other day, just as the Gospels were being written, there were a lot of fake things being written at the same time. And you could look, and there's a lot of books. The gospel, there's something called the Gospel of Peter. Doesn't that sound like it would be good? It's not. And in all reality, if you remember when we've gone through the book of Mark, that is the Gospel of Peter through Mark. But people, there are a lot of fake books. You have the Apocrypha books. Why aren't they scripture? What's the difference between them and those? We're going to talk about that next week. I'll break into that just a little bit to help you understand some of those things. But at the end of the day, let me go back to the Romans and James thing. Take it in context. In God's eyes, a man is justified by faith. Now take the book of James and how it is written. It is a book about practical Christian living. So this is the thing. In this world's eyes, you are not justified by your faith because they don't see your faith. In this world's eyes, you are justified by the works that you do. So both are right. 
So in God's eyes, we're justified by faith. There is no, that's how it is. But in this world's eyes, we are justified by our works. And the way we live matters in the world that we live. And so they finally got it figured out, and they decided that that should, but this is the thing. Even if man decided it, I don't care what man decided I don't care what man you think is right. I don't care if you think they missed a book or anything else. I don't care about what men do with it. Because if you're looking at what men do, men have been doing this for almost 6,000, 7,000 years. Men have been messing everything up they get involved in. And if men were directly involved and they wrote everything here and it was all on man, this book would be nothing. So as we look tonight at preservation, I'm going at it different than you'll probably hear most places. I'm going to let the Bible tell us what it says. Number two tonight, we look at the doctrine of divine preservation. Now you'll notice something as we go through here. You have a lot of verses. And in these verses, you are going to fill in the blanks that are in the verses here. Because that's the thing. I, you say, well... Did man not get it right? I don't look at men. I look to God. If this is God's book, and if God promises to preserve it, which I hope after we're done tonight you'll see that, then you've got nothing to worry about. That means, yeah, the right amount of books are there. You're going to be okay. You're trusting in God and His Word. And so as we look at this, I'm going to give you lots of verses tonight, and some are very familiar to you. Some might not be as familiar, but here we go. We look at the first one there, letter A. We see Psalm 12, 6, and 7. This verse has been, and if we are to look, and it, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go there to me, with me to Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. Now look at verse 6. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, if we were to only have two verses, now, something we got to be very careful about right here, and this is something I'm going to show you. You must, and this is where we don't do it all the time, isn't it important to take the Bible in context where it's at? Is context, does context matter in the Bible? So for me to just throw out this verse and say it's talking about God's Word, the Bible, is it talking about the Word of God? Look before this. Look at verse number one. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail among the children of men. They speak vanity every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who hath said with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Look at the next verse. The words of the Lord are pure words. What words is that talking about? Verse number five. What God said. Am I wrong on that? No, that's what it says right there. 
Is it a stretch to say that God's preserved his word? No, it's not. So as we look here tonight, we see the words of the Lord, they're pure words. And it's talking about that verse right before there, what God said. Now, is the Bible, is it God's word or is it man's words? It's God's words, right? So you can rest on the fact that God has preserved them from this generation forever. Let's look at letter B. Look at Psalm 33:11. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Now, when we talk about the counsel of the Lord, you could go to um, Psalm 119, and I believe when it's talking about the counsel of the Lord, I believe it's talking about the Word of God. You go to Psalm 119 and see the Bible called precepts, statutes, lots of commandments. There's lots of different names for the Word of God. But according to here, it says that the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. It will always stand, right? And the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Does the Bible have the thoughts of God's heart in it? Yes, it does. So it's going to last to all generations. And then the Bible tells us why he's preserved his word in Psalm 78. Look at these verses, verse 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us, We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works which he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and hath appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children to the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born which should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Why has God given us his word and why has he preserved his word for us? So that we would set our hope in God, not forget the works of God, and keep his commandments. Because we tend to forget, don't we? We do. And God gave us his word so that we could hope in him, not forget what he's done, and keep his commandments. That's why he's done it. Now as we look, let's look at some more Bible verses tonight. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Aren't you grateful his mercy is everlasting? I'm sure I'm grateful. And look what it says. And his truth endureth to all generations. It endureth to all generations, not just some. It isn't going to one day be wiped out. It endures to all generations. Psalm 105, verse number 8. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. If a generation in Scripture is 40 years, then a thousand generations would be 40,000 years. That's a long time. I know the earth's been around billions upon billions upon billions by people who don't know the, what the two genders are. Think about that one. But anyways, they can't get that one figured out. But they're sure good at knowing the earth is billions upon billions of years old. I don't trust any of that stuff. If you were to trace the Bible back and you start with Adam, and there have been people who have done it. I haven't done it, but there's been probably between six and 7,000 years old is the earth. But why does it seem so? How do they know what old is? 
They don't. But anyways, we'll leave that there. But for 40,000 years, the Bible tells us in Psalm 111, verse 7 and 8, the works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Do you kind of see a key here? God's words will last forever. That's what we're seeing tonight. Psalm 117, verse number 2. For his merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 119, verse number 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. What an awesome verse. Before we got the whole thing, it had already been settled in heaven. Hey, before men sat down and, canon, and brought the Canistia Scripture to pass, it was already settled in heaven what the books were. And they could argue about it. They could spend as much time as they wanted to trying to figure out what books should be included, what books shouldn't be included. But forever thy word has been settled in heaven. That kind of settles it. Oh, we found a new book that they forgot to add. The book of Judas Iscariot. Didn't you hear that a few years ago? I really don't want to read a book from Judas Iscariot. I can tell you this. There is no inspiration going to be, no good inspiration found there. Why don't we, we're missing these scriptures. We're missing nothing. If we believe God is as powerful as he is, why wouldn't he give us all of his word that he wanted us to have? Let's look at the next one there. Psalm 119, verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. The next verse, Psalm 119, 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Are you getting the picture here? Psalm 146, verse number 6, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Is the word of God truth? Is it truth? Okay, good. I'm, I'm like, I didn't hear anything. I'm like, yes, the word of God is truth. Please, please get that. Yes, the word of God is truth. Forever. Isaiah 40, verse number 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Isaiah 59, 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Now, if you notice something, do you notice, do you see inspiration and preservation in this verse? Do you see it? My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth. Do you see? That's inspiration. And then they're going to last from henceforth and forever. There's inspiration and preservation in the same verse, and you didn't even know it until a second ago. It's right there, right before us. Bible tells us in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. You know, this world, it's going to pass. 
you know, I know we're trying to conserve things and I'm all for being good. I try not to spray aerosol cans too often in the air, just every once in a while, just to, you know. But anyways, and it's going to pass. First heaven, heaven is too, right? Because there's a new heaven and a new earth. But there's nowhere where it says we get new words given to us. Because his words don't pass away. Next. Luke 16 verse 7 is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. <laughs> that's, that's powerful when you look at that. There's a T that I forgot to do the, the little line there. Is that, or wait, you have your jot and tittle. What's the, which one's the tittle, Brian? I think it's, the, I think it's this one. So, so do you see, it's harder, and I could be, I, I, I'm going to do both for you right now. See, I'm just showing you that men can be wrong, okay? Men can be wrong. And so it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for God to forget to cross the T or to put the period at the end of the sentence of his word. It's literally what it means. Look at the next one. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. You see that right there? We look at Timothy, and we've read these verses over and over again. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is of Christ. And then right there it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And you look there and you see, I don't believe Timothy had originals. He had copies, but they were inspired by God. And then we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and 25. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now, as we think on this tonight, and I've heard many people say lots of, how do we know that we have all that we need? How do we know that those men gave a canonized the right scriptures? How do we know that something's not missing? How do we trust? And this is what I would say. It's always better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. And what my Bible says is that God's word endures forever. So what that means is that if God gave us his word, he keeps his word. And God keeps his word through preservation which keeps it inspired. Man can try and mess it up all they want. You can't mess with God's truth. Throughout the years, there have been so many. In 302 AD, the Roman emperor Diocletian, he issued an edict which decreed the burning of all Bibles. There was to be no Bibles left in 302. And guess what? We still got Bibles today. During the Dark Ages, do you know, during the Dark Ages, the Church of Rome, we aren't going to, well, the Catholic Church, they didn't want you having a Bible. They didn't want the common man to see what this book said. 
They wanted to tell you what it said. So you wouldn't see what they were saying and teaching you didn't line up with what the book said. That's where we have some people that will come to our church. And I asked someone a while back, like, Pastor, it was so weird for me the first few times coming because you told us to open the Bible. I always just heard them read me a little, Pat. And you wonder why. You might not find penance and confessing to your priest and lots of other things that aren't found in the Bible. But if you don't know what the Bible is, how are you going to know? And they want to do their best to let no one see the Bible. And in fact, they hated so much the Bible getting into the hands of people. 1415 A.D., 31 years after John Wycliffe died, they digged up his bones. He's been dead 30-something years. He's a Catholic priest that died. They digged up his bones. They burnt them, scattered them down the river because he took the Latin Vulgate and translated it into English. And they didn't want the common man to have it. Following years, just a little bit later, a man by the name of William Tyndale was burned at the stake in 1536 because he translated the Bible into English by the Catholic Church. During the reign of Bloody Mary, Queen Mary in England, Bibles were used as fuel to burn Protestants at the stake. In fact, the French infidel Voltaire in 1778 once boasted that Christianity, including Catholicism, anything to do with it, would be a dead religion within a hundred years of his day. He wrote many volumes against Christianity in the Bible. And get this, within 50 years of his death, his own printing works were being used by the Geneva Bible Society and printing Bibles on the very stuff that he said would never exist much longer. I don't care who it is or who they think they are. I don't care what the devil thinks. You are not going to stop God's word. It's not going to happen. Why? Because God's preserved it. And since God has preserved it, you can be rest assured tonight that what you have is God's words. Don't let some man try to tell you that there's some missing or that there's other books that should be added. God gave you everything that you need for life. You can trust God. I don't trust men. And I know that those translators back years ago, some of those guys were good, they were good dudes. And they had way more knowledge on things than I ever would. But they were still men. And I know that some people on this side of the aisle like to make people over here seem like they were the devil themselves. But the, some of the people over here want to try to make things easier to understand. But then some people over here make these people seem like they're the devil there. And when you get into the politics of it all, that's really what it comes down to. And men are going to mess things up. What I know for sure tonight is that God has preserved his work as he promised he would. And you can rest assured this is God's book. It stood the test of time and it will stand forever. Everything here will blow up and be gone but this book will never change and it will always be. Father, thank